0: You see, see what's happening to you and me, God grab me the serenity, to remember who I am, cause you're giving up your sanity, for your pride and your vanity. Yes, that's
1: that was a request from me. Uh, nineteen sixty nine, old Joel South. That was beautiful. You guys did it great. I love those lyrics. And uh kind of fitting for today's message. But you guys just uh just blessed me and I love that song. You did a great job. Oh, don't say that. I, I might need you to carry me off of here. My back hurts, my knees getting better. My wife's putting me through a tune up. I feel like I'm getting my oil changed. I I got two new hearing aids, one in the right ear, one on the left, and uh, back's hurting me, knee's been replaced, and I'm just singing glory hallelujah, right? So anyway, it's a privilege to be up here and see everybody. It's getting cooler, fall's here. Today's a good example of what happens when it gets a little cooler, but I'm blessed to be here today to speak to you. Pastor Scott and Pastor Claire have been uh, teaching us out of the book of Acts, and they Uh, have chosen this series to emphasize the preaching of the gospel throughout the world by acts of love, healing, faith, forgiveness, and truth, in spite of the times of uncertainty. I think I said that last time that I spoke. um, We all know that it's a different kind of time Uh, right now. 2020 has been. And uh, what I love about um, Pastor Claire and Pastor Scott is their emphasis is has been and always will be that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world. He's the Son of Man and He is the Son of God and I am blessed that we have pastors that make sure we know that first hand. Amen? I want to set the picture of Acts 10 which coincides with all that started to happen after the upper room experience when the disciples re- uh, received the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 and um, I want to make sure That I'm able to communicate with you uh, the process of how when when God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and who he chooses to do that with and um, even furthermore I want you to realize that it's not about uh, do's and don'ts in life and uh, it it was funny because when I was sitting there I was thinking about my message that I was going to share and then all of a sudden um, I hear this small voice in the back of my head that says, you know, you, you're just not good enough. And, and I'm thinking, <laughs> "Oh, you know, that's interesting, uh, especially for, for today's message. But um, anyway, I want to make sure that I set this picture of Acts 10 um, for you. When you read your, uh, the book of Acts, it's important to remember that mostly all the disciples were present with Jesus uh, when he walked the earth. And especially peter we 're going to talk about Peter today, not so much Paul, his experience came after the road to Damascus, after the resurrection of Christ, but in peter 's case, Peter heard and had firsthand experience of all the teachings of Jesus: the Samaritan woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Bartimaeus the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, the, the blind beggar, the forgiveness of the thief on the cross. Jesus raising people from the dead, Lazarus, um, healing the blind man from birth, the lowering of the crippled man through the roof of the home to be healed, totally healing the Roman soldier, Malchus, his ear after Peter himself cut it off during his, uh, Jesus being arrested, Christ's very own death and resurrection and the empty tomb experience. Um, after Jesus rose from the dead, um, Jesus cooked breakfast on a beach for the boys, And um, Christ walks through the wall of the upper room. So for the most part, Peter knew that Jesus did not prefer one sect sect or group of of people uh, over another, at least you would think. And um, it's interesting, as we go through, you're going to see kind of what comes out of Peter for all of us to see, for a lesson for all of us to learn. And if you read your Bible, you know that at the end of chapter 9 of Acts, Peter is in Joppa performing healing ministry, and he raises a woman named in Aramaic, Tabitha, uh, from the dead. Uh, But in in the Greek, Tabitha, uh, the Greek name for Tabitha is Dorcas. (laughs) So, Dorcas, what a name, right? So I'm, I'm, you know, I got a lot of time to burn. I'm laying in my bed, crippled up. Just kidding. Anyway, I decided that I was going to find out what Dorcas means. Um... Seems like I heard that a lot when I was a kid. So I found out that Dorcas means gazelle. Can you imagine that? Gazelle. So I really got excited when I heard that because I thought all the time I thought my older brothers, when they called me Dork or Dorcas, that they were just making fun of me. But they were really calling me uh, a gazelle, one, one that can run real fast. And uh, I can do it with a fake knee, too, as well. So that's good. Anyway, I want to tell him thanks for blessing me, and uh, I need to repent because, man, I, I, I carried that a long time around with me, so it's good to know you're loved, amen. Anyway, after Peter raises Dorcas from the dead, Peter's staying at a man's house by the sea whose name is Simon. The beginning of the chapter of 10 of Acts tells of a Roman-Italian non-Jewish centurion named Cornelius who's described in this chapter as a devout, God-fearing, and caring man who feeds the poor and prays to God on a daily basis. Now, I'm not totally for certain, but this centurion that I'm reading about in Acts 10 sure sounds to me like it's the same centurion mentioned in the beginning of Luke chapter 7. So let's, let's talk about Luke chapter 7 first and the faith of this centurion before we get into Acts chapter 10 and that centurion. Again, in Luke 7, they don't name them, but from all indications, at least for the purpose of today's teaching, my teaching, I, can, I definitely am going to say that's the same centurion, okay? Um, in Luke 7, this centurion asks Jesus to heal his servant, And he sends some messengers to tell Jesus, I am not worthy to have you under my roof. And I am a man under authority and of authority. And I tell people to go here and there And they obey me. Therefore, Lord, just speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I have not found such great faith, not even in all Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and and found the servant well. Now what is imperative to recognize here? In this scripture, in Luke 7, is that Jesus is speaking mostly to the Jews in Israel. Definitely the Pharisees. There's a crowd of people around him. Also tax collectors and sinners who are there to see him. And in the process, it's, it's interesting because he's got this mixed bag of people there. And all, all of them are, are you know amazed at his teaching. Listen carefully. But every one of them have maybe different motivations in the process. So in his addendum statement, Jesus makes it a point to say, not even in all Israel. He's talking about faith. Because of those who are offended, this is why he does it, because those who are offended by that statement are those who think they're closest to God and have this great faith by practicing the do's and don'ts of their man-made rules. So Jesus is saying that the greatest person, this is what Jesus is really saying, the greatest person of faith. These persons are not the rule followers who judge those who don't fit the bill. But those who totally rely on God of all creation and those who have nothing but total belief in the one who can pay the bill. Amen? He's trying to tell them that it's through faith and belief. It's not by doing something. In this case, a a Gentile Roman centurion, a Gentile, possibly named Cornelius, the one who's mentioned in in Acts 10. He doesn't say his name in Luke 7, like I said, but obviously he is one who cares and loves everyone, even his servants, with no prejudice. It appears that he truly trusts, loves, fears, and honors God with all his heart. He fully believes and has the faith that Jesus is the God who heals. He would have never asked Jesus to heal his servant if he didn't believe it. If you know anything about a centurion, Romans. Uh, army, and a centurion who serves in the Roman army, they serve as a single commander of about 80 or more soldiers that work as peacekeepers of the people ruled over by Rome, much like the modern-day police officers. As well, they also served as warriors and soldiers, and they ran units with the same amount of people involved for the military. So that if the Roman rulership was attacked by any other countries or kingdoms, much like our military today, they would become a military force. Knowing now what a centurion was, it is correct to conclude that Cornelius had lived his life with a great understanding of what the rules and regulations and laws of the Roman government were, how they worked, and how they were enforced. He certainly understood all the facets of the Jewish law. Because the Roman government ruled the Jewish people, right? So we easily assume he was highly knowledgeable of the Jewish law and Jewish people's religious rules and traditions as well as their social etiquette. Obviously he, if he did not, he wouldn't be in that position, correct? He wouldn't be leading and being a commander over the Roman soldiers in Caesarea, at least 80 of them. What is interesting here is Cornelius was a Gentile, a Roman-Italian by birth, considered to be unclean or dirty, and he never, and never to be loved by God or good enough for God. This belief would be according to the Jewish law and the Jewish believers, especially the teachers, the so-called experts of the law, and the Pharisees and high priests. However, based on this particular scripture, passage as well as others, Cornelius was very wise, humble, giving, loving person to everyone, no matter a Jew or a Gentile, a citizen or a servant. He was an excellent leader of his community and troops. He feared God with reverence. The Bible says the Jewish people admired him, and he commanded their respect because he cared for them. I believe these are some of the reasons God chose Cornelius for this particular truth to be shown about God's character of loving all and cleansing all, in chapter twelve or ten of Acts. Excuse me. Now, in chapter ten of Acts, it states that Cornelius again, most likely the same guy that I just read to you about in Luke seven. Okay, he's praying one day, and it's around three p.m. and an angel visits him, and tells him to go to Joppa and find a man named Simon also called Peter, who is staying at Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So without question, Cornelius, not doubting what he had just experienced, seen and heard from the angel's visit, immediately sends for two of his servants and a soldier, and he tells them what just happened to him. And then he tells them, I want you to go to Peter in Joppa. We must hear what he has to say. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on, they being the two servants and the soldier, were on their way, or their journey, and approaching the city, Peter went up, while he was in Joppa at Simon's house, went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being led down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill it and eat it. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now let's stop right there for a minute, okay? Now, I'm not picking on Peter, but doesn't this sound familiar for Peter? For example, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and Peter quickly says to Jesus, You're not washing my feet, Lord. And Jesus explains to him that he's making them clean. And then Peter humbly recants to Jesus and says, Not just my feet, Lord, but my head and my hands also. Again, in Matthew, um, when Peter says, I would never deny you, Lord. And Jesus says, Peter, by the time cock crows, you, have, you will have denied me three times. And then, the course, after Jesus' resurrection, he's directly asked Peter in John chapter 21 if Peter loves him three times. And finally, Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. Then feed my sheep. So my point being this. Peter is learning throughout his lifetime like you and me, that God loves him and all of us. Not by what we do or not what we don't do, but because he's made us clean. And that he, is, he has no favorites. We're all his favorites. Jesus loves Peter and all of us. And if we're still getting hung up on being a good little disciple that follows all the rules, we cannot possibly believe that perfect person nor will our neighbor and as you will see after all of our faithful years of love and service to God we will like Peter sometimes doubt when God clearly reveals a truth about himself or truth about ourselves to us when he clearly speaks to us and visits us we still sometimes don't get it Or at least like Peter, until it is confirmed by, most likely in our own eyes, a person that we may consciously or unconsciously believe is less than us or doesn't measure up to our standards. I'm not really quite sure how we have come to this place today. Did it come by the way of how we have been raised or... Our broken religious biasness or our ethnic, racial, socio-economic prejudices? I'm not sure. But I do know that it is God's loving grace and revelation of love through his Holy Spirit which leads us to repentance and wisdom. So in verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon who was known as Peter, was staying there. I want to point out in verse 17, it says, while Peter was still wondering, there is a difference, and I want to point it out, between how Cornelius responds when God visits him and what Peter does. And we're all different. We all process different. And I do want to make it clear that Jesus said about Peter that he would be the cornerstone by which the church would be built. And so I think it's important to contemplate. I'm not making fun of Peter. And I'm not saying that Cornelius is this perfect person. But what I do want you to know is that he, in verse 19, is still pondering what he just experienced. He's trying to figure out what it is. And it says, while Peter was still thinking again about the vision, the Spirit of uh, God said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Then the men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. I like Peter. He's inviting people into Simon the Tanner's house. So Simon's the one has got to feed these guys while they're staying overnight. <laughs> so this is where I find the scripture so insightful, and all of us can learn so much from Cornelius today. I believe that the vision that Peter receives is not for Cornelius himself, per se. I truly believe that Cornelius already knew this truth about God. I don't necessarily believe he knew that exact message that Peter received, but he knew the principal fact that God made everyone clean who believes and loves him. He obviously possessed the Holy Spirit. He knew that God loved everyone through relationship, and it was never about a set of rules, or the, fa- uh, the failing in those following all those sets of rules. It just wasn't for him. He experienced Jesus' love through healing of his very own servant in Luke chapter 7. I believe the message was for the Jewish people, who so loved Cornelius and Caesarea, And all the Jews, including Peter and his entourage in in Joppa, even those who struggled with the rules and regulations of their Jewish faith, having been taught the belief from a very young age that those who were not Jewish were unclean, unholy, and basically less than. And I believe that message is for us today. I believe that based on Cornelius' way of life, his family, he truly understood without question That he was clean, as well as any human being, despite their color, their race, their religion, or their deeds. To him, all people are loved and valued by God. He did not even question when God spoke to him through an angel. His practice of good deeds and alms to the poor, regardless of whether they were Jews or Gentiles, was a testament of his love for God and his love for people. Cornelius was chosen to invite Peter to his house to share Peter's vision because Cornelius was moved by love and relationship with God, not by rules, regulations, and law. This entire obedience without question and faith, without doubt, by Cornelius makes me believe, again, that he is the centurion in Luke 7. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius falls immediately at Peter's feet with honor. He's honored that Peter would come to his house. Peter tells him, hey man, get up. I'm a mere man myself. I just got this vision and this huge revelation that God loves everybody and everything God has made clean is clean. Now, Peter had walked almost, he, he walked almost every day with Jesus in his last two years of ministry. And it's amazing that he can say, hey, I just got this revelation that people are clean and what God makes clean, they're clean. clean. It's amazing. And while talking with him, with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. It would have been Cornelius' people, Jews and Gentiles, right? People of his family, his faith. And he said to them, you are all aware, well aware That it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a visit with or visit a Gentile at his home or anywhere else. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. This is Peter. I'm going to repeat this. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea so i sent for you immediately and it was good for you to come now we are all here in the presence of god to listen to everything the lord has commanded you to tell us and peter began to speak and he said i now realize how true it is that god does not show favoritism this is peter but accepts from every nation the one who fears him And does what is right. It is not about what religious sect or group you are. What nationality you are. What color you are. How many rules you keep or don't keep. It is totally about your faith and belief in Jesus Christ and your reverent love for him and all people. Through Christ's birth and his sinless life, his suffering death and his resurrection, God himself makes you clean and me clean. That is a fact. You are clean by his love and his forgiveness, not through being able to keep any rules or regulations or the law. You will fail. This is the wisdom of God, the real truth, which is proven to be real in every true disciple of Jesus Christ. Their fruits follow them. People know you belong to Christ by your love, not by being a perfect rule follower. And how about us today? Today's generation, today's people, maybe you're like Peter who's experienced at first-hand relationship with Jesus for most of your life, and maybe you need to realize that you should never call anyone impure or unclean, and that God doesn't show favoritism. I shared this message today to evoke some pondering of our own state of being in this world, in this generation. Do we operate in the belief that some people are dirty and some people are clean? Some people God loves, but some people could God could never love. Some are acceptable and some are not. Do we base these beliefs on our own judgments and prejudices, hidden hatreds, bad theology and unhealed experiences? Only God knows a man's heart. I guess that is why I asked Don to sing that song by Joe South, written in 1969, called The Games People Play. I thought it was incredibly fitting because we all play games. We all have these thoughts that maybe we're better than someone else, or a person's less than ourselves, or we judge them. And who are we to judge? It's, it's interesting about these messages that we get because God always speaks those things to the speaker first. And um, I didn't even choose this scripture. I was actually assigned this scripture. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that it's the goodness of God and the loving kindness of God that leads us to Repentance. And the reason why God places the gospel in front of us is so that we can see our reflection through the eyes of mercy and grace and forgiveness, to see ourselves as God sees us. So you might be one of these people. I know I am, much like Peter was at times and have been. And God forbid I'll do it again. I'll judge someone. I'll look at him and I'll judge him. So I would encourage you to know that God loves you. And you will never be perfect enough. None of us will. But for for all of us, we need to know that it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. And he created us and he loves us. So there is no shame in sin. There is no condemnation in sin. There's love and forgiveness when you ask God to forgive you. And if you've sinned against someone today, you need to ask for repentance. And for those things that you don't even know you've done. I do too. So I bless you today. Right? I'm going to leave you with this. God's love and wisdom reproduces itself in man, which always satisfies It always sees things in truth and humility and gives life through grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. Love fulfills all the requirements of the law. It covers a multitude of sin, and love wins every time. It covers anything we've done to everyone we've ever done it to. No matter if you're John the Baptist or Sean Lowridge the sinner, love is described in and by its disciples. And wisdom is proved right by all our children. What God has made clean is clean. Amen? Amen. 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 Bless you guys.
0: Sean, before we send everybody out singing of, uh, singing of the love of God forever... We bless everybody yes. in, in the lens of the love of God, the lens of love through the Scripture and through life and through the law. It's love. Will yes, you bless everybody.
1: Yes. Therefore, my friends, today's word is a reminder to all of us that you are made clean and your neighbors are made clean by God's love through His Son Jesus Christ. His innocent shed blood and nothing else. What God has made clean is clean. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you are a saint or a sinner, he loves you. So therefore, today, receive the word of God into your soul, into your spirit, and go in peace, and may God keep you and protect you, and may he shine his light upon you. Bless you all, and have a great week. Bless you guys.
0: wonderful week everyone see you next week same bad time same bad station